0: This is Create English on RepoJet Radio. My name is Gabor. I'm the host of the program. And uh, for today, we have a couple of things uh, here to talk about. First, we're going to talk about a bit of uh, motivation and what happens when motivation drops in learning. Then we're going to look at uh, the present perfect, oh, the present perfect again, yes, but that's because uh, it's kind of an eternal internal topic, you know, so we're going to clarify some mistake here, and then uh, the third part is going to be about uh, tips on how to reduce the influence of your first language on your English. All right, so let's get started. Today we're going to talk about a couple of things again. One is actually, um, about learning English, right? So when you're doing a course, you're studying, you know, you're going to classes and all that, and you're kind of midway through the course, you need to do some reflection. You need to do just like some evaluation of what you're doing in what areas you're improving and what areas need more work. All right. And, you know, first of all, you need to figure out why you're learning English. Like, what's your reason? What's your first motivation and reason why you're learning English? And um, this question came up in one class and um, the students said, well, you know, I'm not really that interested in the cultural parts. Like, I like the language, you know, I would like to improve my English, but in terms of like the culture, the customs or the people, and the food, so these were not so important or interesting for the students. So, what I'm, what my point is here, that um, you can, of course, associate the English language with the culture, uh, the English-speaking world, and the English-speaking countries, but it doesn't have to be like that because uh, English is a special language today in the world. It has a special position because everybody speaks English in order to communicate. But if you check online, you will, you will find that most of the people who speak English and use English are non-native speakers of English. And they are from other countries, other cultures even. So, if you're not particularly attracted to you know, the English-speaking world as a culture, uh, it doesn't mean you need to find it you know, uh, less attractive to learn English. English is a language. English is a tool. So many people use English to communicate in the world of business and science and tourism. And if you keep in mind that there are more non-native speakers of English than native ones, that might help you to separate the two things, the cultural aspect and the language. Then you may be able to focus on the language more uh, that you need for your business or for traveling to communicate with people who are native and non-native speakers. Then you will feel more relaxed and you will feel more encouraged, I think, to go on and keep going and discover how the English language can serve you and what you can, you know, use it for to your advantage and to your needs. I mean, of course, with the language, you're going to come across a lot of cultural aspects from the English-speaking world, but you don't have to be interested in going into details about that, although to some level you will need to be familiar with the business culture and, you know, just the cultural aspects if you want to do business in English. But just focus on the language, words, vocabulary, uh, pronunciation, you know, grammar and and functional language and just in practicing conversation or whatever you need it for. If it's business, presentations, meetings, um, you know, or maybe uh, professional uh, correspondence and stuff like that. So it depends. Or simply for yourself, because you want to travel and discover the world and all that. You know, everyone has their own objectives. And this brings us to the next point, which is motivation. So uh, I kind of mentioned this in the previous, uh, at the end of the previous program, but there was no time to elaborate on it. So let's speak a little bit more about motivation. Motivation is like a big, big word now. Like everybody's talking about motivation, motivation. You need to be motivated to do things. Well, the way I see it is a little bit different. I mean, yes, you do need motivation. Motivation is the starting point. You need to start somewhere. You need that energy at the beginning. And, of course, you will also need motivation all through the way because that's just energy that you will need to keep going. But you can't have the same level of motivation all the time. It's just like saying, you know, I mean, it's enthusiasm, energy. these, These are not constant things. So... You need to compensate somehow in some way, and the way you can compensate is by defining clear goals. You need to define a longer-term goal, a more general longer-term goal, and then you you'll need to define like mini goals on the way, which means like shorter-term goals. Like in two three weeks, I want to be able to do this, and by the end of the next two weeks or three weeks or whatever, I will want to be able to do that and that. And so this way, you have something to look forward to. And this way you have something to use to measure your progress. So don't confuse motivation with what it is not. So don't expect motivation to be there all the time for you the same way. It's just not the way it works. So you need something else. And what is that else? (laughs) What is that something else that you need? You know, It's called willpower. Your power inside to do things. And, you know, no matter what the weather is like or no matter what other circumstances there are, you decide to do something, you commit to it and you do it. It's just like, you know, any other activity, going to the gym or, you know, being on a diet or whatever. You have distractions, you have better moments, worse moments, but just... Be careful with the idea and the thoughts that say, hey, you know, come on, you can do it tomorrow, or you've had a busy day, you know, you deserve to relax and not to do anything. And then just, you know, time goes by and then you just forget about it. So measure when you listen to that and when you don't. I'm not saying you have to do everything as planned all the time. Of course, we need some certain flexibility, but consistency is key. So willpower, your power, determination that I'm going to do it no matter what I think that day, this can help you a lot. So if you just do things and you know what to do and you know what to do and how to do it, then you're going to be practicing and you're going to be practicing and you're going to be learning. That's just the way it works. So think of runners. Runners, you know, rain or shine, they go running. There might be some days they skip. There are probably days they don't feel like running, but still, they know that it's their routine, they need to do it, or they need to go to the gym and they need to do those routine exercises, so they see the results. They see they're, you know, they're, they're more fit, uh, or they're building muscles and stuff, so there are visible results when they do it. Same thing with English. Remember what your goals are. Determine, define some longer-term goal, and then mini-goals on the way. Right, so, so much about motivation, but also start adopting the word willpower, which is another key player here. If you like this program, if you like the content, then check my page, my webpage, and the notes for this podcast at createenglish.com podcast and look for today's episode, which is March 2023. All right. And now we've talked about, uh, you know, um, some mindset stuff about learning English and how you can, well, trying to encourage you a little bit and not to pay so much attention to those blocking ideas and trying to find, you know, the little uh, paths that can, you know, where you can keep going and not worrying so much about what pulls you back and focusing more on your goals and why you're learning English. Now, as I was talking to a student, I discovered that uh, there was some need for some grammar clarification here. And I'm going to use some example sentences and situation here and uh, explain something about the present perfect. And I know the present perfect is kind of like an eternal, you know, enigma for many, but it shouldn't be that difficult. I'm going to explain uh, one of the uses today with a very clear example, and I hope uh, this will be helpful. So, without further ado, here's a situation. Okay, suppose you are a vegetarian, and here's the original sentence with the original mistake. I didn't eat meat until, before, 20 years ago, right? So I didn't eat meat until, before, 20 years ago. So there was some doubt there. Is it until, is it before? So what's the correct way? So one more time. I didn't eat meat until, or before, 20 years, or 20 years ago. Now, first of all, uh, why are personal uh, examples great for grammar learning? If you have a situation that you want to talk about and you're ha- you have some grammar uh, mistake that you want to correct, then learning and correcting that grammar uh, with that situation is the best way because it will be, um, you will associate that and you will have that example, corrected example always there for you if you, of course, practice it and learn it afterwards in the correct form. So anytime in, in this case for example, the present perfect was not clear for the student. So uh, if you have any grammar point which is not clear for you, it's better to learn it with a personal example because that will always be there for you. It's your life, it's your life experience so you will always remember it. And if you correct the grammar mistake with that situational and and learn it and practice it and keep it, you know, keep it there, uh, then then it will be a reference point for you. Anytime you find that grammar mis- mistake or that grammar challenge in other situations, you just go back, remember, oh, how did I say that? You recall it, say it, take the grammar from there and apply it to the next a new situation. And then you will be able to have that solved, you know, on your own. So here's this example. Suppose you're a vegetarian and you say, I didn't eat meat until 20 years, right? So first of all, let's look at the pieces of information included here. Meat, eat, no, like negative, 20 years, uh, and then, well, that's it, right? So I, as a language teacher, I kind of understand what what you want to say with this. Uh, I'm not sure if a person who has no experience in teaching would understand exactly, but they would kind of figure out the basics. And of course, for this reason, you need to <laughs> improve the grammar so other people also understand what you want to say here. Now, let me tell you what I understand. I know that um, in the past, you were not always a vegetarian. I know that you are a vegetarian now. I mean, I kind of understand that, okay? But, but I also know that you're not connecting the two together uh, correctly. So in the past, you were not a vegetarian. Then at some point, you became a vegetarian and today you are still a vegetarian. So let's look at the mistakes. If you say, I didn't eat meat, then you're limiting yourself to the past. You're not talking about the present, but that's not what you want. You also want to mention the present. So if you mention the present using don't, I don't eat meat, then you are limiting yourself to the present. That's another thing, you know. So you want both, you don't want either, or you want both. And this is what the present perfect is for, exactly to connect the past and the present. So you might know the textbook explanation, but let's look at the concrete example. So instead, I cannot say I didn't eat meat because if I say that, then I'm not including the present. I cannot just say I don't eat meat because then I'm not including the past. I need to use some other grammar. And the grammar, the wonderful, fantastic grammar solution here is the present perfect. Just look at the name, present perfect. Perfect means closed, like past. Present means present. So the present perfect really expresses the connection between present and the past. That's why the name. So what do we know about the past? If it's 20 years, then we know that it was 2003, 2003, right? When you became a vegetarian. Um, so if we take that as a reference point and we look at the present then we know that uh, 20 years ago you became a vegetarian that's simple past and we know that you didn't eat meat 19 years ago and you didn't eat meat 18 years ago but you did eat meat 21 22 and 25 years ago because then you were not yet a vegetarian you became a vegetarian in 2003 that is 20 years ago we know that and we know that in you know, in 2004 and 2005 and all these years, until now, you haven't eaten meat. One more time, you haven't eaten meat. Now, this is the grammar, have not eaten meat, that is have plus the negative, not plus the third form of eat, eaten, haven't eaten, okay, meat. Now we only need to add the time somehow. Here we have several options, but let's keep the original one, which is 20 years. Now, when you say 20 years, uh, then are you talking about a moment in the past or are you talking about a period of time? Well, you're talking about a period of time starting in 2003 and, well, still, you know, happening in the present. That's 20 years. So in these 20 years, you haven't eaten meat and the correct way to say Here is not using until or before, it's using since or for. Now, when we focus on the period, that is, we directly say the period of time, we use for. So the correct form would be, I haven't eaten meat for 20 years. All right, you see? So you're focusing on the period of time and you directly say that. That's when you use 4. I haven't eaten meat for 20 years. What else could you say? We know another number here, which is 2003. You can also say that, but then you will need to change something. If you use 2003, then your focus is not on the period directly. It's indirect. I need to make some calculations. I need to do some math. And you need to change the word to since instead of for, it will be since. So when your focus is on a point of time in the past, instead of directly focusing on the period of time, then you change to since. Then you have to use since. Here's the example. I haven't eaten meat since 2003 or since 2003. three. All right. If you say this to me, I know that In 2003, you became a vegetarian. And if I want to know the period of time, I need to do some math quickly and calculate like, okay, 2003, 2003, oh, right, it's been 20 years, 20 years. You're not telling me directly that. You're saying, I haven't eaten meat since 2003. Okay, great. Or I haven't eaten meat for 20 years. That's also good. Depends on the focus. You're focusing on the period of time or you're focusing on the past point as a reference. But in both cases, you're covering a period of time. It's just that in one case, you say it directly, I haven't eaten meat for 20 years. And in the other case, you say it indirectly, I haven't eaten meat since 2003. And you don't use ago either, because ago is used for the simple past. You're listening to Create English on Riboyot Radio with Gabor Ligradi. So let me just give you another uh, workaround that is using a go. You can also speak about the period. You can also indirectly tell me that you haven't eaten meat for 20 years. By using a go, but the structure, the grammar will change. The grammar will be simple past because a go goes with simple past. How does this work? You can say, I stopped eating meat 20 years ago. One more time. I stopped eating meat 20 years ago. You see, you're telling me about a period of time, but your focus is on stopping eating meat. So your your focus is more on... uh, Your reference point is the past when you stopped eating meat and with that you're essentially saying the same thing but you're using a different grammar and that's okay i mean sometimes for the same purpose you can use different tools right i mean you, know, you want to peel an orange you can use an orange peeler but you can just use maybe a knife or you can just even use i don't know your fingers and uh, a tangerine maybe is easier but anyway You have different tools for the same purpose. And here, you could express the same thing with two different grammar forms. The important thing is to know which grammar form goes with which words, since, for, and ago, and then practice them. This is your example. Learn it. I mean, this was an example. But what I mean is if you have a similar situation where you can use the present perfect, let's say you want to practice the present perfect and learn how to use it, Then just choose an experience, Uh, choose uh, some example from your own life, make sure the grammar is correct, Uh, ask your teacher, you know, figure it out, and then learn that, practice that. Keep it as your reference sentence, reference grammar sentence. And then whenever you are in doubt in another situation, how do you say that? Then you will have one clear reference line, which is yours you probably won't forget it because it's an example from your life. You're more likely to forget something from a textbook because it has nothing to do with you, really. But if you figure this out and, you know, just clean it up and grammar is correct, pronunciation is correct, you learn how to say it, then then it's yours. You can even record it, which would be a good idea to do. And listening to these examples that you build is a powerful way to repeat internally listening and speaking you know they're they're related even if you're not saying it aloud but by listening to it you're almost like saying it again and again over and over again so um, i'm actually going to uh, link to um, a practice chant that i have made for the present perfect it's not for this example it's for the other use of the present perfect when we talk about experiences which is slightly different Maybe it's somewhat simpler, I don't know, uh, than this one. There's no ago, there's no since. It's just, you know, just uh, the present perfect in the negative form, actually. In this chant, uh, we're going to practice the I've never, I've never done this, I've never seen that, I've never uh, eaten this or that, you know. So if you want to just uh, uh, review some present perfect forms and, you know, the past participle forms of verbs, which the present perfect uses, then take a listen to this chant. I'm going to put the link on my podcast page at createenglish.com slash podcast. Create English, just like the name of this program. And it will be under the notes. And we're actually going to listen to it now, so you have an idea what this is about. So here comes a chant for practicing the present perfect tense in the negative form for expressing experiences, life experiences. In this chant, it's all negative. That means not, have not. I haven't had these experiences. So as for grammar, it's the same thing. It's present perfect, but it uses the negative form. I haven't been here. I haven't seen that. I haven't eaten this or that, you know. Okay, so here comes the chant. I've never been to Pluto. I've never been to Pluto I've never lived on Mars I've never heard a fish song I've never owned ten cars I've never fished for eagles I've never sold an ape I've never needed horseshoes I've never bought a grape I've never crossed the rainbow I've never changed my name I've never climbed a molehill I've never lost my fame I've never carved an iceberg I've never trained a flea I've never built an igloo I've never sailed the sea I've never missed a spaceship I've never caught a cloud. I've never seen a dino. I've never seen a dino. I've never seen a dino. Yeah, there you go. Um, if you want, uh, there's a video with you know with the uh, with the subtitles, and if you want to know the text, make sure you go to my website and check it out. You will find the the link there. Okay. And in the remaining time, well, let's talk about one more thing which is, again, related to language learning. And it's all about the, the thing that, you know, a lot of students complain about or comment, and it's the influence of their first language on English. This is a big one, you know, because, uh, of course, uh, you know, every language has its own way of expressing ideas. and. English has its own way, um, and it's hard to it's hard to sound English in terms of uh, you know uh, the way you express yourself. I'm not talking about accent and and pronunciation. That's kind of another issue. But uh, but in terms of the way you express yourself, you want to sound natural. You want to sound um, standard. That's, that's so to speak. You know, so the way people speak conventionally. So. Uh, and and what happens when you're uh, a language learner is that your first language dominates your, you know, everyday life, obviously, because that's what you're using. Unless you're living in an English-speaking country or you're using a lot of English at work, if that's not you, then, then you probably, uh, you know, just do some hours of English per week and you keep running into this problem that it just doesn't flow. Words don't flow and the expressions don't sound um, English. They sound more like you're thinking in your own language, but you're using English words to express your ideas and the, the word order and... Anyway, it just doesn't sound authentic. Now, that's reality. And that's I think that's part of uh, a learning path. Okay? So, that shouldn't worry you. Too much but it should be a sign you know that you keep paying attention to and say okay am i am i doing better now is it is it is there a better flow in my way of speaking uh, and this really depends on a lot of things but one thing i can tell you is about vocabulary learning vocabulary learning should not be isolated words okay so when you're learning vocabulary Rarely, sometimes it's okay to learn isolated words, some technical uh, vocabulary and stuff that really doesn't, is not used in everyday conversational English that much and that just indicates and uh, just describes an object, describes a process, describes something and there's a name for that. You can use that as an individual word, why not? But when it comes to learning English for conversational use, it's always Uh, a better idea to learn phrases, so word combinations and words connected together, because if they sound like that and they're used like that in everyday context, then don't look at them as individual words. Uh, Look at them as, like, units, right? So an example could be, yeah, can I have a ham sandwich, please? Or can I have a sandwich, please? Whatever. Uh, in this case, your um, what you want to learn is not individual words like can and have and sandwich. I mean, it, you need to know the meaning of these words. But anyway, when they're combined, like can I have, really have means something else. Um, have has, you know, multiple meanings. And one meaning is to eat or to consume. Uh, or to to buy, actually, in this case. You know, can I have? So, can I have a sandwich, please? You're asking for something. And you need to learn this phrase, can I have? There's no point in learning can separately and have separately. And then, no, it's just one typical way that's always used. So, anytime you're asking for something in a shop or in a restaurant, it's going to be... uh Most of the time, can I have? Sometimes you can say, could I have, which is more formal, or of course you can say other things like, I'd like a, right, when you're ordering uh, in a restaurant. But when you ask for something in a polite way, can I have, is the way to go. So learn it that way. And this is just one example for other scenarios when learning vocabulary apart doesn't make sense. Learn words together as a unit. And chances are you will notice an improvement in your fluency. It's one component, but it's an important one to take into account. Alright, time's up, we have to finish. This was Create English with Gabor Legradi on Ripoyat Radio. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out the links if you're interested in more details about the content today. It's at createenglish.com slash podcast. Look for today's episode. Take care, have fun, and talk to you next time. Bye now.